Good morning. Thank you for joining. My name is Terry. I am a nurse educator, a CPR instructor, and I will not keep you guys long, but I wanted to um, add a watch live um, from Periscope with the World Health Organization, and they are giving the an update on the coronavirus in Geneva and um, as well as um, what they are experiencing and funding uh, the coronavirus. And I felt that this information was quite important. So I am going to um, stop talking and let them talk and ask answer questions as they come in on their actual live broadcast. Again, I am watching this on the ABC News uh, Periscope. I'm not sure if you have the Periscope app or ABC News. I felt this information was important for uh, people to hear, so I'm going to let you listen to it. Um, and by doing so, you are effectively breaking those chains of transmission because you don't allow the virus to pass anymore between people. But it's all of this together that needs to be put in place. And so um, when these clusters begin, it's important that countries act aggressively to try to stamp it out so that the little, um, the small clusters hopefully remain small and die out and that they don't become bigger. Uh, I think the, the thing to remember, I think, with transmission is because we often end up in, in scientific arguments over asymptomatic, symptomatic transmission. But in effect, it's, we're talking about context. Uh, we're talking about behavior. Um, and though we might argue on the types of transmission, the fact is that context and behavior also are major drivers of transmission. So uh, our behaviors will facilitate uh, disease transmission or mitigate against it. The context, uh, as you mentioned, nightclubs, large gatherings, where people's uh, social inhibitions, where, where people, uh, even if they're asymptomatic, may be shouting, singing, and that produces its own droplets. So I think these are really important contexts, and we've seen in cluster investigations in Southeast Asia, again, how specific contexts can lead to higher levels of transmission. But that is when the virus is present. So it very much depends on the background intensity of transmission at the community level. And in situations where the virus continues to transmit, and is in society, then there are particular contexts. We've seen that in long-term care facilities. We've seen it with dormitories. We've seen it with crowded places, mass gatherings. And then there are particular contexts that we've seen transmission intensified or amplified uh, and generating those kinds of events. So it is about proximity. It is around intensity. It is around duration. And every individual is there, in a sense, every person needs to look at your own risk. Uh, you need to be aware of what is the local transmission. You need to know what the transmission in my area is. You need to be able to take control of your own destiny also and, and not just uh, rely on, on information from governments. I do think people can manage. We do this every day of our lives as human beings. We manage risk. We decide when we cross the road. We decide when we fly. We decide when we have an operation or not have an operation. We make decisions every life. Sometimes we make life and death decisions about ourselves and about our children. We are, by nature, by evolution, we are risk managers as individuals. And I think we're, we're intelligent. Uh, and we're able to do that. What we need is the information to make those risk-based decisions. We need to gain the knowledge to be able to make good decisions. 
Knowledge and information allow you to make good decisions. We decide on our proximity to other individuals. We decide on the intensity of our social engagement. We decide how long we spend in that environment. We can be advised by government. We can be advised by science. But in the end, this comes down to personal motivation and personal choice. Governments and scientists have to support communities with the information. We have to facilitate, make it easier for people to make good choices. But in the end, it comes down to individuals and it comes down to communities. If it doesn't feel safe, it isn't safe for you. And therefore, inform yourself, understand the risks, manage those risks. Uh, because otherwise, uh, the question you're asking, should we shut this open, that it comes down to these uh, binary choices, open, closed. We're in a situation right now where we have to, as I've said previously, we have to learn to live with this virus understanding how this virus is affecting your community, understanding how your behavior, your individual behavior, either increases the risk or decreases the risk of this virus transmitting is absolutely vital. So there is an element of government responsibility here, and it is real, and it is very important. But there is also an issue of individual responsibility and taking control and managing our own risks. Thank you, Dr. Ryan. The next question comes from Bianca Rossier of Globo. Uh, Bianca, please unmute yourself and go ahead. Hi, Margaret. Can you hear me? Very well, Bianca. Please go ahead. Thanks a lot. Uh, Dr. Tedros said today that some countries have taken a fragmented approach and these countries face a long, hard road ahead. I would like to confirm is it also the case of brazil am i right and how do you see the situation in brazil at this point in time yesterday paro said that the peak in brazil could be in august do you agree i think the director general was making a general reference to the techniques and to the strategies that have worked. He was not making a specific reference to, to any individual country. Again, as I have said on numerous occasions uh, in the past, Brazil is a large, diverse country uh, with uh, many different uh, environments and situations that it has to, to deal with. Uh, currently, uh, it is a complex challenge for Brazil, uh, both at federal and state level, and we encourage uh, uh, again, Brazil to continue to take a comprehensive approach uh, and to focus on on reducing mortality, uh, uh, suppressing transmission, and ensuring that communities are fully empowered and that government approaches are all of government, bipartisan, and focused on passing the best possible information to people at all times. I'd just like to add something. So uh, it, it's not about any one particular country. It's about what we are learning about how countries are responding in general. Um, and in the beginning, um, you know, in, in early January, um, when we're learning more and more about this, what we've seen and what we've learned from countries is countries that acted very fast and took this very, very seriously because of their experience with other similar pathogens like SARS. Um, back in 2003, like MERS in 2012-2013, um, they they knew they had firsthand experience of how dangerous a pathogen like this could be, and that aggressive nature and approach and looking at this as an all of society, all of government approach, and focusing on the fundamentals of public health, really had a had a head start, in the sense that they were able to uh, formulate a plan, 
um, get organized, take this very, very seriously, and really, really act quickly. But the other thing that the Director General said today was that it's not too late to turn it around. So even countries that didn't do that, even countries that didn't have that first-hand experience with SARS, have experience now with COVID-19. And it isn't too late to turn it around. It isn't too late to get the infrastructure in place to work on that and to use it appropriately. Um, countries are going, many countries are going through very difficult periods of time. Some countries who have had success in, in suppressing transmission, who are opening up now, may, may have a setback may have to implement uh, interventions again, may have to implement these so-called lockdowns again. I, we hope not. We hope that we won't have to go through into widespread lockdown again. Um, so it's not too late to act fast. It's not too late to use the tools that we have. And countries have tools. They have surveillance in place. They have testing that is in place. They have people who could do contact tracing. Even in situations that are overwhelmed, break down the problem, break down this seemingly overwhelming problem into smaller components that are that you can tackle. Um, and the reason we say this over and over again is because we have seen countries that have been in overwhelming situations who have turned this around. So um, it isn't too late. Uh, it isn't too late to, to use this comprehensive approach. We are here, WHO is here for all countries all over the world. Okay, we've just, we're running out of time, but we've got time for two more questions. Uh, I call now on Simon Ateba, our friend from Africa News Today. Simon, unmute yourself and please go ahead. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, Simon, please go ahead. Okay, thank you for taking my question. My name is Simon Ateba from Today News Africa in Washington, D.C. Uh, as the number of cases in Africa continues to increase, we have like 400,000 people who have been infected so far and over 10,000 fatalities have been recorded. We are beginning to see many people claiming that they have a way of curing the disease using non-traditional methods. For instance, on Monday, a very popular pastor in Nigeria, T.B. Joshua, released a video of a medical doctor in Cameroon who was, who was said to have been cured of the virus through prayers. I was wondering, in the context of infodemics, uh, how does WHO react to this influx of information coming from non-traditional sources and from pastors and from people who are not maybe in the... Uh, medical field claiming that they have a work curing the disease. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's important we make the distinction between uh, claims of disease cure and, 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 and good acts that support communities in terms of the, the suffering they, they, they go through. And certainly uh, uh, spiritual leadership at a time like this is very important in communities, uh, whatever the, the faith. And therefore, we respect and have worked very closely with faith-based organizations on the huge contribution they are and can make 
to managing anxieties at community level, providing direct support to communities coping with this disease, dealing with bereaved families and individuals. So the role that faith-based organizations play is very important. They also play a very important role in getting good information to people. Sometimes it's projected as, um, as a route of misinformation. In fact, we find that faith-based organizations are a very effective way of passing good information because faith-based organizations are very often trusted by communities. They're a different channel, and we're working very, very closely uh, with those organizations uh, around the world. In fact, uh, this week at our, uh, the pre-conference on the WHO Infodemiology Conference, I think we had uh, over more than 10,000 connections. Uh, to that uh, to that conference, uh, and in fact, uh, I think today on the research side we have 1,000 connections into that. So you can see there's a massive hunger and there's a massive commitment to the positive management of information around this pandemic. And we're working very hard with our partners in the tech industry, our partners in the communications and social sciences, and other UN organisations to to do that. So. Faith-based organizations are a very important part of, of this response. Uh, with regard to claims of traditional methods or healing, we've seen that traditional, um, in many different diseases, uh, effective therapies have been found through uh, the examination of traditional products and, and other things. There are products out there that can enhance health and well-being. Uh, and, and uh, obviously we should uh, healthy diet and, and supplementing our diet with, with appropriate uh, products is, is a very important part of being healthy. Uh, specifically though when it comes to making claims around cures for products we have to be very very careful. Um, we want to make sure that all, um, um, all products that show promise in the care or cure of individuals of COVID-19 uh, go through uh, and go into properly uh, managed trials so we can see what their impact and their effectiveness is. Uh, it is impossible to determine uh, the effectiveness of any drug or any traditional product unless we are uh, put it through the rigors of a properly controlled trial. That is the same whether it's a product developed by the pharmaceutical industry or a product developed by traditional, metho by traditional methods. As I said, traditional, uh, 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 many drugs and many effective things have been found through uh, traditional approaches. So traditional medicine is very important to communities around the world. Um, and therefore, uh, uh, WHO has an initiative on traditional medicine. Uh, we look on traditional medicine in a very, very, very positive way. But it is also, as I said, extremely important that any promising therapy uh, go through the proper testing for safety and efficacy so we can uh, all support such products if they're found to be effective. Maria? Just quickly to add on the information. So uh, as you've pointed out, there's a huge amount of information that's out there, not only for COVID, but for different cures or for different, every element of this of this pandemic. And um, as Mike has said, we have a conference that's ongoing right now on this infodemiology of how do we manage all of this information? We're just, we're not, we're not set up to absorb this much information all the time. So how do we tease out the good information from the misinformation from the disinformation? Because there's information that's out there that's not quite right, and it needs to be corrected. And so we work very hard with different uh, platforms. We put out these myth busters where we directly head on say, this one isn't quite right, this is wrong, here's the right information. But there's also information that's out there that's willingly wrong. Um, and that could be incredibly dangerous and it could put people in harm's way. And so we're working also to ensure that the information that's out there that is not harmful um, and that anything that's out there uh, that, is, that is purposefully wrong, we address. 
Um, faith-based leaders are incredibly important in this. And as Mike has said, we work with faith-based leaders uh, across, across the globe. We work with different travel and tourism industries. We work with the civil sector. We work with scientists and public health uh, professionals. We work with journalists. Journalists also have a role to play in getting good information out, having fair and balanced reports. And we're so grateful for these articles that come out that explain very complex uh, topics um, and put it into the context of how we can help people suppress transmission and save lives. So we, we welcome the partnership with journalists on that. And we work with individuals. Everyone on the planet is part of this response every single person, and everyone needs to know that they have a role to play in this, not only from protecting themselves from getting infected, but preventing the onward transmission to their loved ones, to someone who potentially is vulnerable that could develop severe disease. So you have a role to play in, in also not ensuring that you don't pass on uh, poor information. Go to good sources. You can always come to WHO, um, but there are ministries of health, there are hotlines, um, there are reliable sources of information. So please choose your information carefully, and please be conscious about the information that you pass onwards. Maybe I, I would like to add um, from uh, on this issue. Um, I remember uh, this is during the HIV-AIDS era at its peak, um, and we, you know, started using medicines, and some patients were using some medicines, and there was same situation like what we're seeing now, uh, where people were forced to choose between uh, the medicine and phase, and I remember religious leaders, we discussed with religious leaders, and religious leaders going to their followers saying the two can go together. Have your faith, continue to take your medicine. That's what we advise you. And that really resolved the situation. And we know, as what Mike said, many religious leaders who would really advise their followers to follow their faith but at the same time, use signs. The two do not contradict. They go together. So that's our advice. And we would call on all religious leaders to be in this, in this fight and save lives. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tedros. And the very last question goes to Paulina Alcazar from Encadena News. Mexico. Paulina, can you unmute yourself and go ahead? Yes, thank you. Can you hear me? Very, very well. Please go ahead. Okay, thank you for taking my question. Uh, greetings from Cancun, Mexico. Um, as Dr. Tedro says, this virus is very quick. And thanks to the contact tracing, we know that more and more people are infected without symptoms, the so-called uh, asymptomatics. Can this be due to taking more than four months in raising their immune system throughout food, vitamins, care? Do you know, um, you have new records of this condition? Can you repeat that? We couldn't quite understand. You mentioned a condition related to the immune system. Is that correct? Would you kindly repeat it? Yes, um, that um, 
Thank you to the contact tracing, we know that more and more people are infected without symptoms. The so-called asymptomatics. Can this be due to the people taking more than four months, they raise up their immune system by foods taking care of their own? So you say, you're asking whether people uh, have improved their immune system by by particular foods? Is that was is that? Do I understand you correctly? Lo puedo hacer en español. Good idea. Yes, yes. Please go ahead. Okay, gracias. Eh, decimos, nos dice Dr. Tedros que este virus es demasiado rápido y gracias al rastreo de contactos hemos encontrado cada vez más y más eh, personas sin síntomas. Eh, los llamados asintomáticos. ¿Puede ser esta una condición de haberse cuidado durante más de cuatro meses, haber subido su sistema inmunológico eh, a través de la alimentación, de cuidados, de ejercicio? ¿Tienen ustedes nueva información sobre esta condición de, de los llamados asintomáticos? Porque de una u otra forma siguen infectando. So I can start. Maybe Mike would like to. to if, I, uh, if I understand that the question is, it's more about why are you seeing? Why are we seeing more of these asymptomatic cases through the contact tracing, um, and are they doing something differently? Um, we do know um, that through contact tracing um, and people who are under medical observation, some of them are being tested and they're testing positive and they don't have symptoms. Um, and we've known this for quite some time that you can have people that test positive that don't have symptoms, and we know that those individuals, if they're not in quarantine, they can pass the virus to someone else. Um, what we tend to see through surveillance activities is normally surveillance is focused on people who show up in a health facility, especially in the beginning of an outbreak, certainly in the beginning of the pandemic. We often found people who were symptomatic first. And then when we did our contact tracing, if we found that that individual passed to someone else, they tended to, it, the, the secondary transmission, those individu individuals tended to have more mild infection, some of them being asymptomatic. Um, I, we don't know why uh, in, in terms of their immune system or, or if they were, uh, had anything to do with how they ate. What we know is that all people are susceptible to this virus and people can get infected. Um, and we know that um, it's very important when we do our case finding and our contact tracing that those initial cases are isolated and they're cared for depending on the severity of their illness and those people who are uh, undergoing contact tracing are in quarantine because in essence if they in fact are infected then they are not able to pass that virus to someone else. I, I think in general we, we, we don't understand the factors that drive asymptomatic versus uh, symptomatic transmission. We don't know whether that is related to dose, related to age, related to the health of the immune system. But I think regardless of that, I think it's important that uh, as human beings we're a very complex biologic system and we need a healthy immune system. We go through many infectious diseases throughout our lifetimes. Uh, and therefore, a healthy immune system, a healthy uh, microbiome, having, uh, having uh, general health is very important in fighting disease. Uh, and therefore, uh, while it doesn't specifically help for COVID-19, a healthy diet uh, and being in generally healthy condition and protecting and, and uh, promoting immune health is very positive for any number of infectious diseases. So I think it is important. Good nutrition, 
leads to better immune systems. We've seen that. We've seen children who are undernourished, children in refugee camps around the world, and how they succumb so quickly to acute respiratory infection, to the impact of measles and other diseases. So we do see the vulnerabilities that are created by poor nutrition uh, and undernutrition around the world. And uh, the, we've seen the impacts of stress you put a human being into a situation where they don't have access to adequate hydration, adequate diet over a prolonged period of time, where they're subject to psychological stress. And, uh, you know, the archetype for that are the millions and millions of refugees around the world and migrants who live in these sorts of conditions. Absolutely, people in that situation are more susceptible to infectious disease. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, I think it's as a general principle, we all uh, need to, to look to how we can create a healthier population. This is what um, uh, Dr. Tedros speaks about in the three pillars of WHO strategy. We're not just talking about uh, responding to epidemics. We're talking about protecting health, healthier, healthier lives. We're talking about healthier and stronger health systems to deliver health care. And we're talking about protecting the world uh, against emergencies. So a huge chunk of WHO's overall strategy uh, in our program of work for the next five years is built around the principle of healthier lives. Um, and the immune system is an extremely important component of that. And nutrition is linked to that in a very meaningful way. Thank you, Dr. Ryan, Dr. Van Kerkhove, and thank you to all the journalists who attended and for these really good questions. We will send the audio files as always. I'll, and thank you, Dr. Brennan, for being on the line and answering questions as well. I'll hand over to Dr. Tedros for final words. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Margaret, and uh, a very good start. This is not your first time, actually. We had you before uh, to moderate this. So thank you to all also for, for joining, um, and especially to our colleagues from EMRO, uh, Ahmed and Rick. Nice to see you uh, virtually, and thank you for joining. And thank you also to all journalists who have joined uh, today, and others, of, of course. And uh, see you on uh, Friday. Thank you. Okay, guys, as you have heard, uh, that was the updates with the WHO organization, World Health Organization. That came directly to you from Periscope. They had a live today, July 1st, 2020. And I wanted to include um, my podcast um, audience because I am listened to and over um, to in different countries. And so um, I'm not really sure how this will affect you. However, uh, I do talk about COVID-19 uh, quite a bit here lately. And I wanted to make sure that you guys got what the actual WHO organization was saying about uh, coronavirus. Please excuse the, uh, the um, noise in the background. I am actually working. <laughs> Um, and so I just wanted to stop by and let you guys know um, that um, the WHO organization is um, giving updates daily about the coronavirus and how it is affecting the uh, world as a um, pandemic. And so if you have any um, concern, they are a good valid source to uh, um, return to or 
get your information anyways i'm gonna let you guys go for the day hopefully i'll be back either later on this evening or tomorrow and i wanted to talk a little bit about sleep so um i hope you guys have a good first of the month july 7th um be safe stay well and i'll talk to you soon bye bye